everyone, this is Dr. Liz, and you're listening to Include with Dr. Liz. This show is about everyone, all people, including you. It's about people and their diverse lived experience in this world. I chat with guests to get to know them, their identities and their inclusion needs. So we all have an opportunity to understand how best to include them. So together, we can create a world where everyone thrives. Tara is a quiet time loving, green pepper despising, Indigenous DEI training expert with ADHD, who after overcoming burnout is committed to living a balanced and joyful life. Often described as brilliant and committed, Tara's goal is to share her DEI training solution nationwide. Welcome, Tara. Thank you. That's quite the introduction. (laughs) (laughs) It's all true, I promise. Now, you share with me offline that despite having no fear of speaking in front of hundreds of people on stage, you're actually terrified of speaking in front of a camera without an audience. Why do you think Um, that is? It's... I have no, I think it's the connection to the audience is what I need in order to um, be able to take that kind of energy that I need to be a speaker. I'm here though. (laughs) Yes, you are here. And it's just a conversation amongst friends. I promise you can just think of it that way. Just like every other guest, you completed a questionnaire for a big, huge, long list of identities. You ticked three what were they for you I identify as a two-spirited indigenous person from Mi'kmaq descent and I do have a developmental disability and that is ADHD thank you for sharing those now I think I'm going to start with two-spirited to help people understand what that is so what is it to you I love that you said what is it to you because I think that as many people as we have who have differing experiences of gender other than the binary, um, there's that many um, understandings of personal identity. Inside of two-spiritedness, it is a phrase that was developed in, I believe, 1992 at a conference to kind of reclaim the difference between what you might call somebody as a bisexual individual versus an indigenous person who is, there's a little more involved. Two-spirited people in many indigenous cultures were often seen to be people who had a balance of male and female energy. Um, And that energy then was channeled into a variety of different uh, tasks within a community. It could have been supportive. Some people say that they were known to be medicine people. Um, And of course there were relationships that were same sex relationships too. But I believe we are at a point in time where people like myself can say in my experience, it's my energies. Um, there is attractive uh, elements to it, but uh, I am in a committed long-term relationship um, with the energy that suits me best. You know, we, we could very well have somebody else come on here and define two-spiritedness for themselves uh-huh. as something completely different. 
Yeah. Well, absolutely. Thank you for sharing what it means to you. Does that affect how you relate to pronouns? I I do have my pronouns. Uh, like if you go to my LinkedIn, for example, I do display my pronouns to be she, they. Uh, the they is just a representation that there's a little bit more. It's, you know, I, I would feel inauthentic if I showed up as a she, her, um, because I think um, in the types of societies and the pressures that we have on us as we're growing up, you tend to lean into an identity that fits into whatever system or relationships you have you happen to be in. Over a period of time you, in self-discovery, you go, oh, there's an extra piece of me that I've been ignoring. So I no longer want to ignore that part of me that I don't think I ever really um, made very visible. Oh, I love that. I mean, I'm just thinking around <laughs> acknowledgement that you're more than just her, oh, well, her, but she, that there's a collective to you. Like I like that idea of the collective now because of the two-spirited, which is obviously more than singular. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I like that. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, because I hear pronouns being described in so many different ways for so many different people because of their different uh, gender identities. So that's that's a fresh one for me to hear. And I, so I always love hearing the new stuff. Um, now I do want to ask, how did your gender identity unfold for you? Was it something that was obvious to you to start with or not? I always had very strong um, masculine tendencies. And I don't mean that in a sexual way. I mean that in a very, um, I'm very ambitious. Um, I'm very driven. Um, I lean into these harder um, capabilities a, quite a bit which oddly enough put me out of balance in my life for a long time because of that ambition and drive. Um, and even though I, you know, as growing up would have identified as, you know, just so, as female um, and still present that way, um, my behaviors were more masculine, even right. though I was ultra feminine on the outside. Uh, and it really was a conversation where I looked at somebody and said, you know, I really think I'm maybe bisexual or two-spirited. And their response, because they knew me so well, was, yeah, okay. And we've known this forever, <laughs> which kind of made me feel like, what? what? You know, what? How can you know? And I don't know. <laughs> It was a quick conversation and it made me think that, you know, I, I've always been who I am. Mm. Nothing has really changed for me, except that I now occupy space um, that I would define as two-spirited. Yeah. So then how is your gender identity woven into your Indigenous identity? Oh, they're hand in hand. Um, being Mi'kmaq and um, embracing culture and tradition. Um, for one, uh, two-spirited is not a term that somebody would use if they're not Indigenous themselves. I don't think it's a term used lightly. Like I actually uh, had a heart-to-heart -heart with an elder uh, about, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can can I, is this my space? Am I, am I taking space from someone? Because 
that would be devastating to me. Um, and she very graciously listened to all kinds of words tumbling out of my mouth. And then she looked at me and she said, well, how do you feel about it? In that ever amazing ability of an elder <laughs> to simplify things. And I was like, well, I feel like I'm too spirited. And she said, well, then that's what you are. And I, and looking back on it, I was afraid that I wouldn't be welcomed into that space as who I was rather than that I couldn't call myself that. Mm. Um, but that's stuff you don't really, you don't really figure that out until after and you take some time to reflect. And I would say I'm very passionate about space. I know it sounds weird, but how creating space, holding space, um, what are you bringing when you go into a space? Um, what kind of energy do you take? I take that very seriously and very, um, I think it's important to recognize that when you, take on these identities or words that you're stepping into a conversation that's already happening mm -hmm. and you know it takes time to really work through where you're coming from and why you're stepping into that space so I started from an indigenous space already so the step for me was more so just acknowledging the half of me that uh, I just didn't give language to. I'm curious about your access to Indigenous community around you, because my understanding is not everybody has access uh, to elders. So tell me about whether it was your access to elders and the importance of that for you. It was 100% me taking advantage of being in the right place at the right time. I work with uh, Indigenous groups sometimes as a consultant and uh, that allows me access to certain events um, and to certain spaces. I don't know if you've ever had any chance to be around an elder or even just a very, very self-possessed um, senior, mm -hmm. right? Um, but they just have a way of directing conversation where you're talking about one thing, but all of a sudden you're actually talking about what's on your mind, mm. uh, the thing you weren't going to bring up. You do reference the term space a lot. And so I want to ask, <laughs> no, I use the term space a lot as well. So I love it. <laughs> I use the term energy a lot as well. Describe mm -hmm. to me what a safe space feels like for you. How do you know it's a safe space for you? and people like you? That's an interesting question. I, I'm going to actually, I was just in a safe space. Last week, I attended the International Indigenous Tourism Association uh, conference. And so it was Indigenous people from all over the world come, who came together to celebrate tourism, to, you know, look for new ways in which we can advance uh, Indigenous community through tourism, culture, was really great. At the end of the conference, uh, I saw another woman who was on the, a panel with me and I sat down to chat and she made a comment about, this has been a really great week. I'm tired, but I'm not burnt out. And I thought, you know what? That's true. I'm tired. It was long days, different time zone. Everything was a bit off, but I'm not burnt out. And I wasn't burnt out because I didn't have to spend all my time walking around wondering if people didn't like Indigenous people. 
<laughs> or if somebody would not be welcoming of a two-spirited person. Mm. And I know I'm kind of cheating on this question a little bit, but the vibe, the space, the energy was very different. It was very accepting. So I think the welcoming space, sometimes it's the questions that people ask, mm -hmm. you know, someone, like if someone says, so what do you do? And then you walk into that identity of, oh, I am a DEI consultant and I do this. But if someone says, where are you from? That's a very different question. And it has more an implied interest in who you actually are rather than what do you do? So um, there was a lot of where are you from at the Indigenous conference. And uh, in most networking situations, I get a lot of what do you do? Yeah, so, I mean, and if you think about Indigenous populations all over the world, that mm -hmm. their connection to country and to land is so mm -hmm. much more energetic, to use your words as well, but the connection is spiritual with the land. And so to ask mm -hmm. where you're from makes sense because that's where your connection back to your country or your nation or whatever the term is for whichever Indigenous population you belong to. So that makes total sense. Now, I do want to ask because I don't want you or other First Nations people and Indigenous populations to have to only attend Indigenous conferences to feel safe uh, and a sense of belonging. So what do you think? Like if someone's listening to this podcast, what can they do to create spaces that absolutely make you feel welcome and that you belong? I don't know that all people would answer this the same way, but I think starting anything with a land acknowledgement is a very good way to acknowledge that there might be um, Indigenous people in the room. And if they're not, then it is still a good way to remind people that, hey, uh, let's think about this land. I think that conferences that have uh, sustainable practices, um, whether that they're serving food and they're going to use disposable, is it biodegradable? Is everybody getting bottles upon bottles of water? Or are we given access to maybe a fountain that we can get a glass from? Like how wasteful is this get together that you're hosting? In small ways, you can show that you have the same values as Indigenous people. You know, and getting back to the land acknowledgement, some people, I know, think it's just lip service, but when it's not done, when, you, when it's not done, it's noticed. Mm. And uh, if you're presenting research, do your best to find information about Indigenous population and include that in your presentation. Like, don't forget that there's a, you know, a measure of Indigenous people in, in the space that you occupy. Um, you know, I've been to Board of Trade kind of things where it doesn't mention anything about Indigenous business and it makes it seem like we don't even exist. Talking about acknowledgement to country, it's a very common practice in Australia. It's built into all major events. It would be rare that it wouldn't occur. Um, and so there's the welcome to country, which is done by someone that's actually Indigenous on the lands that they belong to. So that's a welcome mm -hmm. to their country. And acknowledgement to country, for those that are listening, is different. That is that anyone can do an acknowledgement to country because you're acknowledging the land that you're on um, and that you're grateful for the Indigenous population to share that with you. Now, again, for those listening, you can Google 
and you can get a script. And if you're not sure about how you would say it, you can actually just get a script offline and read that at the beginning of your presentation, or you can make it more authentic. So an example might be, which I often would do um, from here in Colorado, I would acknowledge and recognize the Arapaho, Cheyenne and Ute people for sharing this beautiful country with me, um, of which you can't quite see out that bright window, but you can see the snow-capped mountains of the Rocky Mountains. And it is so such a privilege to be shared um, this land. Mm. And that's all you have to say. I mean, it don't, doesn't have to be perfect, but if it's genuine, authentic, it's certainly more powerful, would you say, Tara? I think I think you're right. And I think that sometimes we make things out to be much bigger deals than they actually are. Um, if you And if you got really stuck um, and you had access to somebody who was Indigenous and you felt comfortable, you could just ask, you know, that that's a... That's kind of like my solution to mostly everything. Yeah. Just ask. ask. <laughs> it, you, you'll, you'll get an answer. I mean, maybe you won't like it, but you're going to get an answer. We might be and, giving away the, 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 the our toolkit as um, diversity, inclusion and belonging consultants because the answer is we'll just ask. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just ask. Ask the question um, as politely uh, and respectfully as you can. If you're not sure how to pronounce things, ask uh, nobody knows how to pronounce things so uh, unfortunately sometimes indigenous people don't know how to pronounce things in their own language so it's you know the gen if you if you're coming from a genuine place of wanting to help and wanting to do that um, you're bringing it to the space and you are creating uh, an exchange you know, if you will of energy where you're uh, creating new energy that's more positive to move forward now we already talked about the intersectionality of gender identity with your Indigenous identity. You shared with us at the beginning around having ADHD. How does that mm -hmm. play out for you in your life? Chaotically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fortunate as I am to be an individual who is identified later in life, uh, I see a lot of uh, struggles that I've had that perhaps, I can't say, nobody knows, but perhaps would have been a little easier. Uh, I can say that if I wasn't getting the supports that I have now and I wasn't able to build in, you know, systems that actually work for me uh, and, and with a lot more kindness towards myself, you know, if I didn't have that, I definitely wouldn't have my business. It just, I, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to cope I'd make it so far, but I wouldn't be able to actually execute anything. Tossing that in, I think in a way, it kind of has given me the ability to be very accepting because I've spent my whole life having to accept that, oh, I messed that up again. <laughs> oh, I forgot that again. Or, oh, how come I didn't do that? You know, like this great big long list of things that I wish I had done, but uh, you know, through through ADHD, I, you you forget, you forget these things, and I, you know, could have hated myself my whole life, or I could go, okay, next time. So that ambitious, driven side of me was always like, next time, next time. So I had this continuous churn of like goals and and places I wanted to get and things I wanted to do, um, and eventually crash and burn did happen, but. 
that's not my experience now. I think that discovering that I had ADHD, gaining clarity, um, and I don't mind saying that I do take medication, uh, and it's been exceptionally helpful for me. Might not be for everybody, but for me, it's worked very, very well. It has literally been putting down a lot of things that I've carried. Um, it, it's it's interesting because I have loosely started writing about my experience and that has been helpful for me as well uh and i know had been you know at a point of the writing process where i was covering when i found out uh, and what i believed before and how i have no trouble identifying as adhd because the words i used before to describe myself were so negative and so harmful ADHD is just it's like okay there's a set of symptoms it's a set of behaviors whatever it's not you know irresponsible unreliable uh, forgetful unorganized like these are some pretty serious words especially if you want to be a professional mm-hmm. so so being able to put that down and go oh that's not actually me it it allows space for you to understand who you actually are because you yeah. can get rid of the stuff that's not really connected to you. Being diagnosed with ADHD and seeking help and support has been the best part of of my life. To be <laughs> that, quite honest. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned help and support. Now, you um, like I said, you mentioned um, taking medication. What other help mm-hmm. and supports have been useful for you? I do find therapy to be very helpful systems ways to manage energy I've come to realize that working before 10 o'clock in the morning is just not for me it's I can't I'm up very very early but uh, I can't step into my office until 10 I've learned that afternoon naps are perfectly okay and in (laughs) fact I get more done if I stop and take that little rest and then I go back to what I was doing so I'm more forgiving with myself than what I actually need mm. and what will make me more successful. And I think, you know, that's going to look different for everybody, but the process of doing that is probably the same, you know, try something. If it doesn't work, no harm, no foul. You just move on to something else and eventually you'll find the thing. Now you said your relationship with yourself improved significantly when you got diagnosed um, with something that had been part of you your whole life but the diagnosis helped you in your relationship with self did it change your relationship with others I mean I've never directly asked I sat down with my close friends and asked them but I I feel like there's just a gentler response when I forget about something you know it's not Tara forgot because she doesn't care. It's Tara forgot because it didn't make a memory in her brain. Yeah, it just it just made it easier for other people to understand why I was struggling with something or even why I might have done something. Disclosure is important so that we can share with others who we are and how we identify so that they can then start to interact with us, ask questions out of very helpful curiosity not the other kind um but so that they can then interact with us better there is a very common um is it an argument discussion a thread on the internet at the moment about now everyone 
has ADHD. Um, how do you mm -hmm. respond to that? If we look at the research and we look at who was studied and even if we want to go so far as looking at who the DSM was based off of in its initial writing and who wrote it, <laughs> not exactly a good start. If we start looking into that and we acknowledge that women and women's bodies have been pretty much ignored throughout most medical history, is there any wonder that, you know, you have this wide grouping of people around my age who were completely missed. And it's interesting because uh, my parents are actually visiting and I was driving somewhere with my mom yesterday and we were talking about things that are clearly tied to neurodivergence uh, that I exhibited in my youth and in my like younger years that we both were like, we had no idea, like those are symptoms, but they weren't noticed. And the reason we gave as it not being noticed is, and my mom said, well, it wasn't in my baby book, right? So you're doing your best by your child. And if the literature you're given doesn't include that. So if the literature and the research isn't talking about little girls with ADHD, then of course they're not gonna be diagnosed. And then as we move forward in any kind of health uh, care, um, we get better diagnostics, we get better understanding. So now that we can say, oh yeah, ADHD does happen in women, and, but it happens differently. Mm -hmm. It's got a different kind of you know, presentation. I mean, if we were still treating people for um, cancer the same way we were in the 1950s, I mean, I'm pretty sure that we would have different, very, very different results. So we have a better understanding. And when you know better, you do better. So to anybody with that argument, I encourage them to look at the research to, and then decide, you know, if they want to keep that opinion or if, you know, they want to change it, maybe. Thank you for sharing that and demystifying for everyone. Um, it's like 100% everything I would have said. <laughs> I mean, it's no question that uh, let's use neurodiversity so it encapsulates everyone, whether it's on autism spectrum um, or within the ADHD family of, um, let's say, conditions, but um, ways mm. of thinking that it all was based on a masculine representation of those behaviours and girls were better conditions and socialized to sit stiller for instance as a simple example and unless mm -hmm. you were overtly demonstrating those behaviors nothing would have come up um and so we were all girls tend to be trained to be teacher pleasers um so you're not going mm -hmm. to um see those same behaviors so thank you so much for sharing that and it also highlights the importance of access to information and knowledge so where there was no internet for a certain generation um those of us in our 40s and 50s now that there was no internet for our parents nor us to help us identify our behaviors um, and, and what could be behind them. Now we have access. There is more knowledge and there is more access. So brilliant, Tara. Thank you so much. But I mean, it just highlights the intersectionality experience from um, gender identity as well with neurodiversity. Um, so beautiful highlight for listeners. All of this magic that's Tara, um, all of this intersectionality, what are you doing in this world to make it a better place? So I kind of came to DEI work because I'm an educator and I can't see me really not helping people in that way. 
Um, I'm very passionate about identity and about making sure to create spaces in which people can be successful and reach their fullest potential, Mm. Um, you know, so that people are able to, what is that saying? You know, if you ask a fish to climb a tree, I think is, is that what it is? Something I, like that. There's something I, about a fish in a tree. I know. That's, that's as much as I know about that phrase as well. But it's really powerful every time I read it. <laughs> it is. And I can never remember. So yeah, my apologies. My apologies to the person who originally said that. <laughs> I have made a mess of your beautiful quote. But um, if you give people the space that they need, if you give people the tools that they need, if you even acknowledge that they are struggling, they are going to be able to do better. Mm. And if I can convince leaders in companies, businesses, organizations that that's the right approach, then I will call it a good day. Well, then my definition of a good day is the same definition of yours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Um, You've shared a lot of really wonderful insights that we haven't captured in any of the other episodes so thank you so much thank you for having me this has been really nice 